Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 116 of the Naturally Nourished podcast. Today, we're talking all about endocrine disruptors and estrogen overload. This episode comes at a perfect time of year as we are starting to reflect on how to jump into action mode with our wellness goals, and you may be doing inventory, um, if you will, on our bodies and, and kind of focusing on areas that need attention and balance. Yes, and estrogen is one of those tricky hormones in the body that we often like to think of in simplistic ways, and it's beyond (laughs) simple. And we'll talk today about how estrogen dominance can cause havoc in men, in women that are postmenopausal, in teenage girls that are going into fertility age set, and how it can really create havoc on our metabolism, on inflammatory processes, sleep patterns, and things beyond the common understanding of this female sexual hormone. And today's topic should be pretty epic. I mean, we've talked about estrogen in many, many episodes from breast cancer prevention back in episode six to episode 16 on five hormones that make you fat and definitely in women's hormones, episode 44. And then recently in episode 86, we talked about the importance of detox and keto. So as always, we've got tons of content out there for you guys and it always seems we're just scratching the surface no matter how thorough we are. So we'll try to. <laughs> yes. Even in these hour long episodes, it's like there's always so much deeper in the rabbit hole we can go. And I love that although we may have overlapping concepts that there's always new content to share with you guys. So it's always important that we lay the foundation and we will do that today. Uh, for you loyal listeners, um, we want to make sure that always we're keeping things fresh and up to date. And obviously, that's my passion is bringing the most up to date content and food as medicine intervention with all of you. But for those of you new listeners, you may want to delve into some of those prior noted episodes, and we will put links to those in the show notes. So today we're going to go deep into the world of endocrine disrupting compounds. So like Becky said, kind of touching on the connection of detox and sexual hormone and how these endocrine disrupting compounds create disruption, if you will, in the body or imbalance in the body and other contributing factors to estrogen overload. Yes, so I'm pumped to go down the rabbit hole as we always do. Um, But before we take a leap, let's just tell listeners as the year is coming to an end, um, let's sum up what we have coming down the pipes for 2019 and take a last little chance to call out registration for our virtual keto program. Yes. So this has been a rockin' year, only two weeks left in the year, and um, I'll save the nostalgia (laughs) for next week's episode or maybe even the New Year episode when we're really digging into reflection and goal setting and 
all of the things. But, um, you know, in this year, I had the delayed release of the anti-anxiety diet book, which came out in September um, and was really the big passion project of mine birthing this entire year, that, that book and bringing that into fruition. I've had so much fun as a guest on so many friends, different podcasts. Uh, a lot of fantastic reviews and feedback from readers of the book and new listeners to the podcast because of the book or because of a guest spot and um, so much success and feedback in in such that I have been asked by my publisher to write the Anti-Anxiety Diet Cookbook. Um, So I'm super stoked about this project. It is going to be coming out in the fall of 2019, my due date is May, and I will have Becky helping out with the photography for this book. Yes. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm so excited. We spent the weekend building a little um, photo booth so I can kind of ramp up my photo game. So I'm really, All right, girl. really on board. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. So yeah, so that'll be a huge new undertaking. And I'm I'm sure we'll be sharing a lot along the way. I plan to take on and tackle the connection of the anti-anxiety diet for toddlers and whole households and really delving into that phase one, phase two protocol. And, uh, you know, that really is this like tight keto versus low glycemic and how those fit to support mood balance. And I think that that's another evolution that we saw this year come into fruition. So September of 2017 was our first launch of our virtual food as medicine ketosis program that I had been running in the Houston clinic. And um, so this September made our one year mark and we're going into our January launch of our virtual food as medicine ketosis class. And I think the big transition we made this September was in really honing in on refining our protocols and really uh, specifying them to various needs to make this more of a layered functional medicine approach to a high-fat, low-carb diet. Uh, And we created programs or, or, excuse me, protocols within the program that include a fast track, Uh, a steady and sustain, um, and then a heal, maintain, and gain protocol, which varies specifically your macros, gives you guidance on fasting, on movement therapy, and then we really go deep with each class into functional lab assessment, supplement recommendations, and food as medicine strategy. Yes, and we've gotten such amazing feedback and continue to get on our program. And I think Part of the best feedback is we keep getting um, the same folks signing up to repeat the class because clearly there's some really valuable good stuff. And it's really – it's different every time even though the PowerPoints might look somewhat the same. Um, The actual content is completely different every time. You never really know where we're going to go with it, uh, but it always gets better and better every time. So we've gotten amazing feedback from, you know, I think 50 plus pounds of weight loss at this point in some of our earlier members to hormonal balance, to control of or uh, remission of autoimmune disease, to digestive function. It's really across the board. We're getting so much, so much good feedback. Um, So our class starts January 9th and um, you can sign up at, I'll put the link in our, in our show notes, but it's AllieMillerRD.com backslash ketosis hyphen class. And 
it's going to be bi-weekly webinar. So it's a 12 week program, a webinar every other week. So you go down the rabbit hole. It's kind of like having Allie in your ear, sitting on your shoulder for an hour plus, <laughs> kind of like this podcast, but much more functional, um, targeted approaches. And um, we also have two eBooks that come with the class. So a ketogenic kickstart ebook that really gets into the nitty gritty and nerdy science tons of peer-reviewed studies in there and then also an ebook that's all recipes Um, plus there's handouts and a facebook support group which our participants really love taking part in yeah and becky and i directly moderate that so you do get direct correspondence and feedback and we keep our veterans in from prior classes so it's an awesome nourishing community And uh, like Becky said, it's a really nice handheld experience uh, at a cost affordable price. So for the whole three month program with the two eBooks, it is $249. That is what we are leaving the price at for this January group. It will likely indefinitely go up. Um, So grab your spot today. We are at about 50% filled and we are pre-recording this episode of course um so there are about 80 spots left as of today and again it's uh alliemillerrd.com backslash ketosis hyphen class and if you're enjoying the podcast and you're enjoying what i'm putting out there this is the best way to really get more of a thorough entrenchment in this food as medicine philosophy and really work to redefine your relationship with food and find what works best for your body and understand the feedback. That's the biggest thing is about client empowerment, about making these connections, because as you guys know, I'm all about that doctrine creates disconnect. So we don't just give you a one size fits all plan that is the way. We teach you how to determine what way works for you now. Yes, and even if not, looking for weight loss per se, or not looking to go really strict keto. I think this is a great way to apply, for example, the principles of the anti-anxiety diet because those first six weeks are keto. And if you need a little bit, you know, you've read the book and you need a lot of extra help implementing the diet piece of the puzzle, I think it's a great place to start. And you don't have to start with a tight, you know, one size fits all, like Allie said. Yes. Okay. Yes. So, so yeah. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll and, talk about keto today too. Yes. Promo. <laughs> yeah. um, all right. So let's start. Um, actually, before we start to discuss endocrine disruptors and things that can disrupt our hormones, let's review with listeners the different types of estrogen that we have in the body. Because I think this is a big aha for a lot of folks that we don't, as women, have just one type of estrogen, even though we typically just talk about it as estrogen. Yes. So there are three types of estrogen, estrone, estradiol, and estriol or estriol, however we decide to say that for the day. So E1, E2, and E3. Um, Estrogen in the form of estradiol is the dominant form that is going to overly express estrogen dominance um, if we're looking at like estrogen-positive related cancers, um, ovarian or breast cancer. um, We're going to commonly see dominance of estradiol or E2. Also, when we're seeing most of the symptoms of estrogen dominance, so if we're talking about anything from breast swelling to stubborn belly fat to insomnia, uterine fibroids, infertility, and so much more, we'll go into some of the symptoms and side effects, but estradiol is kind of the big one that we hone in and focus on. 
as the body goes through menopausal change, um, or we can metabolize this E2, um, this can be converted into estrone or E1. And a secondary form of estrogen, our E1 or estrone, is uh, generally going to pick up when the ovaries start to reduce the output of estradiol. Um, also we get production of estrone from our adrenals. So our adrenal glands directly actually make a little bit of this estrogen as well. And as we've discussed in past, uh, definitely from chronic stress, that HPA axis not only can shut down or reduce progesterone production, but now we know insult to injury, we can even ramp up estrone production, which can throw off even further that progesterone and estrogen relationship. So E1 can be a stress responding or the body fat storage form of estrogen and um, can convert back into E2, which is the more dominant form. So possibly the unsung hero of the estrogen relationship is estriol or E3. And E3 has been shown in research to modulate or basically regulate the influence of our dominant forms of estrogen. E3 has been said to be a estrogen antagonist, which essentially works against estrogen dominance. And so when we're looking at balance of estrogen in the body, we're using this estrogen quotient or relationship. And this is the equation of E3 divided by the combination of E1, estrone, and E2, estradiol. And I like to see this quotient greater than 1.5. Got it. So that quotient being way too low is a way that someone could be relatively estrogen dominant without having high levels of estrogen per se. So I think that can be a little confusing for listeners. Let's just talk about various forms of estrogen dominance and how that quotient comes into play. Totally. So one form of estrogen dominance, like the most obvious, is high estrogen levels, um, especially if we're seeing elevated E2 or E1. This is going to be, you know, clinically seen um, when the values are above the reference range. And this is when we need to bring in really more aggressive detoxification support to bring down the high levels of estrogen. And then as you mentioned, Becky, we can see estrogen dominance relative based on suboptimal estriol or E3. So if that antagonist isn't balancing out, maybe the E1 and E2 are in the normal range or the upper normal level of range. So they wouldn't be flagged as high, yet without that antagonist being optimized, we're going to see a little bit of dominance expressed. And that's where that estrogen quotient would be lower than the 1.5 goal. And then we can also see estrogen dominance in light of low progesterone. So this is another relative dominance where estrogen levels and even within the estrogen quotient could all be optimized, maybe at the upper level of norm, but maybe even that EQ is at like a 1.7 or something like that. But if progesterone is clinically low, we're still going to express in that hormone equation dominance of estrogen. Okay. And so it can be really kind of widespread how, how this shows up, but what are some of the symptoms, Allie, of estrogen dominance and why would that be concerning? 
So of course, the the most concerning are going to be the cancer-related risks, which are seen in women and men, actually. So important to note that. So like I said, you know, breast and ovarian, including uterine cancer, can all be seen with estrogen dominance. And then we see prostate cancer as a significant risk factor for men when we see estrogen dominance. We also see estrogen dominance contributing to mood disorders, anywhere from depression to anxiety. And we can see buildup of tissues in the uterine space. Um, I mentioned contribution to fibroids. That's a big correlation we see. We tend to see a lot of uh, women with endometriosis having estrogen dominance as well. We see breast tenderness and um, even like fibrocystic breasts uh, commonly uh, being trended with estrogen dominance. We can see irregularities in our cycle. Uh, We can see also ovarian cysts and infertility, um, all as factors with estrogen dominance. And then as we've spoke to in our autoimmune-related podcasts, there's definitely a trend of autoimmune disease being seen higher in women. And there's starting to be some concept of estrogen dominance contributing immune insufficiencies or autoimmune tendencies in the body as well. Okay. So a lot of symptoms can be really wide ranging in terms of how this expresses. Um, Now, what are the things that really set people up for a risk for estrogen dominance in the first place? Is it strictly environmental or what are the other factors that play in? Well, so the first one that we might maybe overlook, which I feel is most obvious, uh, is exogenous hormone. So basically hormone of estrogen coming from the outside, right? The first one would be using um, a hormone, like especially like a hormone replacement therapy, HRT, if you will. Um, So this might be like the Villadot or this might be Estrase cream or something like that, right? So using exogenous hormone um, and then remembering back from our birth control episodes that uh, birth control is an exogenous hormone, right? So our like seemingly, um, you know, nothing uh, pill that we're taking maybe every day for a decade of our life is contributing to our hormone expression in the body as well. Um, So you're getting synthetic hormone with hormone replacement, if you're going through perimenopausal or menopausal change, um, of course, IVF drugs are going to be exogenous hormone and then birth control. Those are the first kind of tier to consider. And then um, we also get exogenous hormone from dairy and animal products. So another thing to consider that's something that's coming from the outside that we're consuming. Then there are endocrine disruptors, which I'll just kind of leave it at that because we're going to go deep into defining what those are. But um, these are going to be non-related to direct hormone focus, but things that are like in our plastics and our perfumes, um, chemicals that disrupt the signaling of our hormones. And then nutrient deficiency and fat loss or fat gain can all contribute to estrogen dominance. Okay, so I want to go deep into endocrine disruptors for sure, which can have hormonal implications beyond estrogen, but sticking to estrogen for a second before we go there, let's pause and dig into exogenous estrogens because like you said, I think so many of us have had this influence in our lives of birth control or another form. 
Yeah. So I would highly, I know I hate to always do this, but I don't want to also always repeat content. So definitely you guys, if you haven't checked out episode 106 and 107, those are pretty epic episodes, especially 106, where we go into the quote unquote harms of birth control, really important episode. And it will discuss how when the body is chronically or daily being exposed to these exogenous or external hormones that we're taking orally in our birth control or, you know, through uh, IUD or whatnot, that our natural hormone production tends to get hindered. Um, So that's really something to be mindful of. And then, you know, there was a lot of fear-mongering when we talk about hormone replacement therapy uh, from the nurses' study, which was, you know, the NIH study that looked at Um, the impact of hormone replacement using progestin and conjugated estrogens in the form of Primpro. So um, be mindful that this was the use of synthetics, just like synthetic hormone that's used in birth control. And with the approach that I use at Naturally Nourish in our clinical environment, we only advocate for bioidentical hormones, which are very different. They're going to structurally be identical, of course, with that term, um, to the natural hormone that the body produces. And we do recommend using these in conjunction with testing and getting a baseline, as well as active hormone repletion markers, and really less is more in the sense that we never want to add lighter fluid to fire. So if someone is dealing with estrogen dominance based on excess estrogen and low progesterone, we're always going to bring down the estrogen first before we add lighter fluid to fire. We're going to work the metabolic processes on a foundational level. And if we're to use hormone replacement, it's going to be done in the synergy of supporting that HPA access, the hormone regulating stress access of the body, and monitoring ongoing with using only a bioidentical, which will have much less imbalance and definitely supportive uh, hormone synergy for the system. Got it. And so important. We don't often acknowledge, like you said, birth control as a synthetic hormone and then connecting as well that, um, as you said before, dairy and meats can function as exogenous hormones too. Let's dig into that a little bit. Yeah, I think that's often overlooked as well. Um, So, you know, we want to always prioritize that the animal products that we're purchasing are free of growth hormone, um, and especially dairy with the recumbent bovine hormone. Um, You know, dairy in itself is estrogenic to begin with. In fact, there have been research studies that estimate, we talked about this in our dairy episode of the podcast, the pros and cons of dairy. And um, studies have shown about 60 to 80% of the estrogens in human body come from milk and dairy product consumption. Um, And there is a lower oral bioactivity of the estradiol we see um, and the E1 from dairy consumption. But the primary form of estrogen does have, which is the E1, the oestrogen, um, it does have some relative impact bioactively in the body. And so I definitely recommend if we're especially dealing with like cancer risk to to stay pretty tight dairy-free, especially in even looking at men with like testicular and prostate cancer concern. Um, And the one area of dairy where I feel more safe is like a grass-fed whey or um, ghee. But even so, I I try to really watch because 
this can be a contributing factor towards estrogen dominance if we feel that we're already at risk. And then the, the meat products, making sure that they are also hormone-free because that can scramble hormone metabolism. Um, and then, you know, thinking in general when we're adding growth hormone and steroids, even in men that are using like testosterone gels and such, these can even be aromatized or converted into estrogen. I can't tell you how many men clients I rescue that have been doing like these like anti-aging protocols and they're only testing their free um, testosterone and their bound testosterone in the blood and their sexual binding globulin, but they're not testing their estrogen and they're starting to deal with like gynomastia, you know, male breast formation and estrogen dominance that's hindering their weight loss because they're just, again, adding this lighter fluid of hormone and that excess hormone is converting unfavorably in their body. Yes. So I definitely want to dig into aromatization and what that all means because I think that's really important. Uh, but let's define just beyond the exogenous hormones, the role of endocrine disruptors on hormone health that can drive estrogen dominance and other forms of hormone or metabolic havoc? Yeah. So once we get outside of the use of hormone <laughs> to manage hormone, and then the consumption of products that have hormone applied to them likely to stimulate growth um, and weight gain or to stimulate milk production, right? Um, you know, those are the most dominant contributing factors, but we're starting to see a huge influx of the influence of these endocrine disruptors. And these are compounds that structurally mimic hormone and they can have three different influence. They can have more potent, less potent, or completely different expression on that hormone receptor. Or in an absolutely distinguishable way, they can interfere with hormone signaling or communication. So as it sounds, they disrupt endocrine or hormone activity, um, either by upregulating, downregulating, having a, a completely opposing effect, or just interfering with the feedback mechanisms and signaling. And these can be found in our phthalates, which are found pretty much ubiquitously in all plastics. Uh, you know, we used to really only demonize the BPA, but we're seeing that really what plastics are built of, their structural compounds often are going to have another form of endocrine disruptors. We're seeing PCBs, pesticides. Uh, we're seeing DDT, which has been since banned, but is still being uh, circulated in our environment. And, and pretty much we can simplify this concept of sourcing for endocrine disruptors from our plastics, our perfumes, and our pesticides, the three Ps, if you will. Got it. So remember the three Ps and yes. find different or better forms of those um, to use. And we'll get into that in a second in terms of what you can substitute for plastic and Always. perfumes and all of those things. Um, but what's the concern of exposure to these endocrine disrupting compounds? Like what does this manifest downstream? Well, interestingly, I like how you said downstream because interestingly, <laughs> actually, we've seen a lot of impact in um, the uh, aquaculture. And so looking at fish infertility and loss of fish colonies was really one of the first ways that we brought light to this impact of these endocrine disrupting compounds that were getting put into our waterways. Um, and so 
biologists have been noting this sterility and malformation of sex organs in varied animal species. And they tie this to the contaminant of the environment from these endocrine disrupting compounds. Um, So infertility can also be seen in humans and definitely inarguably, this is something that's widely on the rise. Uh, We also can see neurological concerns. So um, from conditions ranging from multiple sclerosis to Parkinson's disease, dementia, cancer, ADHD, and cognitive decline, as well as behavioral disorders, all in the world of neurological. We can see skin um, and joint and uh, muscle distress, like structural dysfunction in the body. Uh, We can also see mood influence, both anxiety, depression, uh, bipolar disorder, and that kind of ties into the neurological world. And then endocrinological beyond our estrogen dominance that we harped on earlier in today's episode um, and beyond sexual hormone across the board, we can see impact on the endocrine function, including our thyroid. So hypothyroid, we can see autoimmune or inflammatory thyroid conditions, including Hashimoto's thyroiditis. And we can see insulin resistance and diabetes on the rise from exposure to these endocrine disrupting compounds. Okay. So I think it's important as we continue to see trends of these diseases and conditions on the rise, um, our daily exposure and consumption of these compounds, we need to take a a look at at that. Um, And as we go into how to reduce this, this is actually a great time, I think, to pause and have a word from our sponsor, CrowdCow. Yes. So CrowdCow delivers the very best craft meat from the farm to your table. When you purchase from CrowdCow, you'll know the breed, the style of the beef, and you get to virtually meet the small independent ranch who has produced the beef. You get to pick the exact cuts you want, and it's delivered straight to your door. And you can purchase this at crowdcow.com. If you use the link backslash naturally nourished, you'll get $25 off and free shipping. And CrowdCow's mission is to help people discover and access the highest quality craft beef and meats and to bring people together, farmers, consumers, families, and friends. So what's really cool connecting the dots to endocrine, when you're connected to the provider, you can select through CrowdCow 100% grass-fed grass finished beef, uh, which will, of course, also confidently be free of hormone um, and also be a more superior or health-supporting omega-3 ratio. We know when it's grass-fed and grass-finished that we're going to get a higher omega-3, a lower omega-6, which is going to support anti-inflammatory effects as well as giving a lot of the nutrients that help to support our body against estrogen dominance like zinc and minerals and B vitamins. Yes, and you're not getting those exogenous influences, so it's freaking awesome. Um, So the other thing I love about Crown Cow is that it's not a subscription service. So you can select the cuts that you want and you don't end up with a box of beef sitting on your doorstep when you accidentally, you know, go out of town and forget about it. So you choose it when you want it. um, And you can choose, you know, from varied cuts from 100% grass-fed, grass finished to grain finished to even their Wagyu and some of these 
really interesting cuts from Japan that I'm dying to get my hands on and give a try. Um, yes. But you can um, get free shipping for a limited time in addition to $25 off your first order if you use the link crowdcow.com backslash naturally nourished. Absolutely. Awesome. All right. So I know we talked about plastics, perfumes, pesticides, those three Ps. Let's talk about where they're found beyond the obvious, I think, in our day-to-day life and maybe some swap outs that we approve. Yes. So I think starting with plastics, uh, the first one is in your household, making sure that you do away with plastic storage containers. So we have on our Amazon store, all of my favorite, I like to use Pyrex or Anchor, you know, whatever truly you can get on sale, but glass is fantastic, especially if you can use glass containers that you can put in the oven. Um, I'm a big fan of reheating leftovers in the oven. And if I can store something and also heat it safely in that same container, I'm all about less dishes in my household. Um, So that's super important to me. And that's a big thing. You definitely, definitely, definitely don't want to reheat any food in plastics, which will leach more of the estrogen um, dominant contributing factors or these endocrine disruptors into your food. Um, So also when we're thinking about our youth, glass uh, bottles I used exclusively for Stella um, we also have a stainless steel water bottle for her. She drinks out of cups, so we minimize the use of straws as much as possible. Um, all of our water bottles in our household are either stainless steel or glass and lined, uh, meaning like the exterior of the glass is lined with rubber. So if you drop it, it doesn't break. Um, so that's definitely a starting point as far as cooking and food storage. Anything else you want to share in that world, Becky? I would say stuff that you're cooking on you guys. That's a big thing to work out. Like these coated pans and things. I think, you know, just about every household I go to, they have like Teflon of some sort pans and I'm always like, throw that thing out. Um, So what you're cooking on and cooking in is really, really important. So we both, I know, use predominantly cast iron, right? The lodge cast iron. And then some enamel, um, ceramic enamel coated cast iron, mind you, right? So uh, there is like the very expensive Le Creuset, and then there's cheaper knockoffs. As long as it's uh, going to be ceramic coated, you're all good. And um, the green pans, um, I'm actually going to link one. I just started playing with one. It's por- I think it's porcelain lined. I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll look into the details of that. But it's definitely a non-toxic Um, And it's a lighter option because a lot of people, that's the feedback, is the cast iron Uh with the enamel is like you really need two full arms and you need a squat to to pick up that pot. Um, It's not a one hand while you're looking at your kids running around the kitchen type thing. Maybe the smallest version of the Lodge cast iron, but yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Um, So let's move on to your world, Becky, Uh, makeup and face products. So this is one that I'm super proud of in this year. Um, I'm not a huge makeup wearer, as you all know, um, (laughs) but I have cleaned out all of my products. Um, I had a blend of like origins before, and I've come to find with Beauty Counter that they have a little bit of a stricter quality um, and identity as far as ingredients that are used. Um, Let's share a little bit of info on that. Yeah, totally. I think what's so crazy and what they talk about all the time over at Beauty Counter is that the FDA actually doesn't have the authority to regulate and remove 
harmful ingredients from products we're putting on our bodies and our kids' bodies every single day. So there's 80,000 plus chemicals that are on the market today, a lot without safety data, and a lot of them make their way into our skincare and beauty, which is so, so wild. I didn't realize before starting with Beauty Counter that there was absolutely really no regulation on these products. Um, So Beauty Counter is committed to creating healthier and safer products and creating a standard in the industry. And I love that because I think it's making other companies kind of think twice as well and kind of pushing the agenda forward. But um, they've prohibited more than 1,500 questionable or harmful chemicals. They have what's called a a never list um, that you can access on their site. And I'll make sure I link to that. But um, it lists all of the chemicals that they will never use. And it includes all of those three P's. So we should be in pretty good shape if we go to Beauty Counter and shop there for our shampoos, lipsticks, body oils. I've been really getting into their holiday collection lately and ordered a whole bunch of fun stuff. I <laughs> thought I was going to give as gifts and now I'm like, oh, one for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it always works. Yep. And the biggest things, if you guys are looking at your own cosmetics um, the or you know even sunscreens and whatnot, lotions, uh, the big ingredients to watch for, I think we'll definitely put a link of that 1500 that they eliminate and a link through that you can shop with Becky as your consultant, um, but is phthalates and parabens. And phthalates is spelled with a P-H. It's that silent P-H. So P-H-T-H-A-L-A-T-E-S. And phthalates and parabens are the two to really, really watch for in like your shampoos and, and the products that you're using, even if natural. Okay. So two more P's to add to that three P list, which will make it easier to remember. (laughs) Yes. And then cleaning products. I've had a really great time using Branch Basics. They're a Texas-based company. Um, And so we talked about fragrances as well. And I think that this is something we don't really talk about enough. I love Branch Basics. They use a concentrate that you dilute whether you want to clean glass or countertops or bathrooms and tile grout or clothing. It's pretty incredible and um, really widespread. Awesome. So you can use it you know, for varied purposes. And I know I've even seen Stella working with it. So I know that you wouldn't put it out there if it wasn't safe. Right. They're plant and mineral based and um, they have no uh, fragrance, which I really enjoy. So the house, you know, maybe you miss that the house doesn't smell like freshly cleaned per se, but you're not breathing in endocrine disruptors and you can use your essential oil diffuser (laughs) and actually, you know, breathe in things that are going to heal your body versus harm your body. So I find it to be really effective. It's extremely safe. And I'll put a link also. Y'all can get, I think it's uh, 10% off, um, but I'll put a note in the clickable link um, for their starter kit, which includes their oxygen boost. And that's gotten red wine out of foods from when we were in Fredericksburg. So (laughs) out of clothing, out of clothing, excuse me. Um, So yeah, definitely awesome, clean, effective products there. Cool. We'll make sure we link to all the things in the show notes. And then I think beyond the cosmetics, we talked about xenoestrogens. Well, not that term. So I'm going to define that. A xenoestrogen is a synthetic estrogen. 
Um, the Xeno word just basically means synthetic. So that could be in the form of your birth control. It could also be seen in um, predominant chemical we think of as BPA is a xenoestrogen. Um, so that's where we really want to avoid the plastics in our water bottles. If you're to do canned foods, that's something we didn't mention, mm-hmm. um, like canned beans or um, I really don't know what else we're buying canned these days. Canned crushed tomatoes, I suppose. Those are like the two things I think of. Good brands and organic brands, you'd want to look for BPA-free, like Eden brand, for instance, for beans. They use that kombu sea vegetable, which is great to break down the gas-causing factors of beans, the phytates, but it's also BPA-free cans. And then a lot of the tomato products now, I've switched to glass. Yeah, uh, I was going to say because that acidity, right? Right. The acidity is going to leach from the mineral, the metal, excuse me, anyway, um, and whatever they're lining it with. And it's always like, I'd rather just... Uh, you know, dissociate from the risk factor versus replace the risk factor and potentially that be a new risk factor. So yeah. Awesome. That totally makes sense. And then even beyond that, what about phytoestrogens, Allie? What are those? What does that mean? Yeah. So (laughs) plant mimicking estrogen structures for sure. So um, I found a really interesting research study when I was prepping for today's episode on um, like ruminants and animal consumption of phytoestrogens and how that drives infertility. Um, And and they mentioned, I know they mentioned how like that may be one of the mechanisms of uh, evolution of plant defense is making, you know, the the consuming animal infertile. So crazy, right? So um, looking at things like beans and cereal gra- grains, I think we think of soy for sure as a known phytoestrogen, but all legumes will have some level. And then yes, like wheat, another reason <laughs> bum, 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 to fight against wheat, rye, barley, gluten containing grains have higher amounts of isoflavones or phytoestrogens, um, estrogen mimicking compounds. And the most high risk factor in the food world is going to be isolates like soy protein isolate. And so watching out for like a lot of foods like Kashi products, right? Which will say they have nine grams of protein per cup of cereal. If you hear me talk about the importance of protein in the morning, that is not what I'm recommending. (laughs) (laughs) To be clear. Nope, nope, nope. Oh my gosh. So another quote unquote health food just gone totally wrong. I remember my Kashi cereal days back in college. It was like, but they have so much protein. (laughs) And fiber. Yeah. A toothbrush for my colon. (laughs) Uh, Basically. Oh my gosh. Um, And then, you know, because pesticides, as we said, are endocrine disruptors, really all food needs to be considered for sourcing. So like those grains and soy and things are typically going to be genetically modified and be coated in pesticides, right? Right. So uh, we can see a big impact of the glyphosate in, you know, the Roundup Ready crops. And um, the big thing we think of as far as across the board, whether it's an insecticide or a pesticide or a fertilizer or any form of ag chemical, um, most of these are going to have some form of endocrine disrupting influence. So I recommend using the environmental workers group list of the dirty dozen plus and the clean 15. We'll put a link for you guys as a reference in today's episode. Um, So I won't harp too much on that. But generally speaking, think about the things that have high water uptake and very thin skin of being concerning. And this is where we think of a lot of foods we feed our children, like grapes and apples fall into that dirty dozen list and pears and strawberries and 
bell peppers. So a lot of the like, uh, you know, vitamin C rich and um, child friendly again, or staple foods are in this dirty dozen list. And then even leafy greens and then things that take up a lot of water like cucumber, right? Um, So being mindful of our sourcing, trying to do local wherever possible, which is going to not only vote with your dollar to support small family farms, but also going to have less of that industrialized agricultural chemical influence um, on the environment as a whole when you're voting locally, but then also in the consumption of what you're purchasing. Awesome. So, okay. Clean lifestyle, including products, food sourcing, and avoidance of synthetic hormones is obviously really, really important to support hormone health and reduce that endocrine disruption or the endocrine imbalance. But let's talk about how we can be proactive to support removal of these maybe from the past. So we don't want to scare folks into like, oh, you've done right. this in the past. You're totally doomed. <laughs> and then, you know, how we can support getting, you know, we're probably not going to get around it like our, you know, jars of our uh, or lids of our our glass jars might be plastic or something. So there's always going to be some influence. We can't 100 percent. I think, escape it unless we live in a bubble. Um, so how do we support right. our system? Right. I mean, we're breathing it. So uh-huh. <laughs> we're, we're living it, man. Yeah. This, is, this is the Petri dish that we're all in. Um, and so I, I totally think, yes, it's always great to be proactive. And on the lid note, I just have to say, um, you know, everyone, I, I love doing my, um, you know, Instagram stories and giving just like a very raw, unfiltered moment play by play of my life uh, with all of you guys. And I I am happy that it's helpful for a lot of you guys. But it's so funny how we can get really caught up in the details, right? And and so I think that it's mindful of good, better, best approach. And, um, you know, what's reasonable and what's our entry point and what changes can we make today? It's constantly a layering effect. And I think we're all, um, you know, on a journey. And uh, for instance, I am using the ball jar lids da, 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 that, ha- you know, are metal that, that use that seal. Um, however, I don't package any of my food, including my bone broth. I keep that actually with a four inch void so that I can bring it to refrigeration and then freeze it without cracking my ball jars. And it never makes contact with that. So I'm not concerned yeah, there. Not and like I'm proud with that on it. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. And I'm proud that I'm using my glass ball jar and I'm good. The buck stops there. Okay. <laughs> like, <laughs> so I just think, you know, always, always perspective. Yeah. So um, supporting detox is super, super important. This is the best way that we can be proactive. And so, like we said, we ha- have had a lot of episodes in the past. Um, I think episode 16 talked about the function of detoxification. You can literally go into our blog or podcast and search by term. Like, so you can search detox and see all of the reference points, but we have a, a phase one and phase two activity in our body as a really simple one one Um, Cytochrome P450 is the common one that we think of in the liver. And this is the enzyme pathway that metabolizes a lot of drugs. It plays a huge influence in the metabolism of toxins as well, and estrogen being one as as well, as far as a a steroid hormone that's metabolized through that liver pathway. Um, So estradiol and E1, estrone, um, are going to be metabolized in that cytochrome P450 enzyme of the liver. 
And these two metabolites can be methylated um, and they require a COMT pathway, catecholomethyltransferase. We reference COMT in our genetic episode, um, episode 69 and 70, when we talked with Dr. Ben Lynch on episode 70. Um, and all about the influence of like methylation, we tend to think of COMT genetic SNP as being a factor of anxiety because your catecholamines are often your stress responding chemicals. So if an individual doesn't have um, or has a COMT genetic SNP, they're not able to metabolize the end products of estrogen. So they're going to be prone towards estrogen dominance and they're not able to metabolize the buildup of their stress responding chemicals. So that is a kind of revisit of that enzyme pathway. So we think of cytochrome P450 and COMT as two primary enzyme pathways of the body that regulate estrogen specifically. And then across the board, when we think of detoxification, phase one is the activation and phase two is the encapsulation and uh, phase three is the excretion. So as we've talked in prior detox episodes, you really want to focus heavily on phase two, the encapsulation, because if you're overactivating, but you're not protectively encapsulating, you're actually going to create more havoc or harm in the body than support. Got it. And it's been said that most people have in ample phase two support, right? Usually we have enough phase one or that kind of stirring up of the toxins. It's getting it out of the body. That's usually the issue, correct? Yeah. I mean, especially if you're eating produce period, you're getting a good amount of phase one support. And if you're in a form of catabolism or weight loss, like many of our listeners are on a weight loss journey, you're getting more of that activation. So I'm a huge proponent as tools to help to be proactive. Two supplements I'd strongly recommend are super turmeric and ultimate detox. So super turmeric is anti-inflammatory and antioxidant rich, and it specifically is going to upregulate that phase two support. And that's why it can be discussed as a cancer fighter in so much literature, because it helps with that protective encapsulation to protect the toxins that are being metabolized from driving free radical distress in the body. So by being anti-inflammatory and phase two supportive, that's something you can absolutely take daily to support yourself from living in a dirty world, essentially. (laughs) And then um, the other one I would focus on, especially if experiencing any form of estrogen dominance, is our ultimate detox. Um, That's going to have kind of a two-part focus. It has wide-scope detox support for phase two. So it has things like cysteine and glutathione and glutamine to support the gut lining but it also has calcium D-gluconerate. And this has been shown as a unique compound that can reduce the intestinal reabsorption of estrogen. So it helps us to detox estrogen through the colon. And it's not going to drive low estrogen levels. It's not going to be as aggressive as something like DIM, maybe. We talk a lot about DIM or methionine in our breast cancer um, uh, episode. And DIM can, in many women, especially menopausal women, drive too low of estrogen, which can then create risk for like bone density and so forth. Got it. Okay. And then beyond use of these two supplements daily, I would say it's still important to do a therapeutic 10-day detox, what, at least quarterly, Allie? 
Oh, for sure. You know, just as we get that oil change, you guys, to prevent our engines from clogging up and burning out, this is how we prevent our metabolic organs from getting gunked up and burning out and, and shutting down or or taking their hands off of the fat loss game um, or anti-inflammatory body healing pathways, right? So uh, really important. And we think of not only detoxification supporting the removal of endocrine disruptors, but the 10 detox can also support favorable outcomes for bacteria and mold and yeast. And then things like artificial flavorings and nitrites and food dyes and additives in the food system and our chemicals and our clothing, things that may have other disrupting compounds beyond the endocrine world. Um, I really recommend a therapeutically supportive detox um, that gets supplemental support for both phase one activation and then a dominant phase two encapsulation. Yes. And our Real Food 10-Day Detox Program is a really good starting point if you're just kind of coming into this world or if some of the symptoms we've talked about have resonated or if you're like, oh my God, I've been taking birth control and drinking from a plastic water bottle for you know 25 plus years or, or what have you. It's a really good entry point. Um, it's important to note that this is a nutritionally supported detox. It's not a juice cleanse. You're consuming- <laughs> You will chew. Yeah, I you will chew um, and eat real food throughout protein, throughout the detox um, as you need the those proteins, those amino acids to support that phase two detox. So a lot of cleanses out there don't have ample phase two support. And I always say it's like taking a bath in the same dirty water over and over again. You're just, you're not going to get clean (laughs) and there could be some harm, right? Um, We also have recently made the detox keto friendly and added several pages of content um, as we think it's really important to include a detox if you are, like we said, doing any kind of active weight loss program, keto or not. Um, And then our supplements are formulated to have a three to one ratio for that phase two support, which most folks, like we said, need more of. And that's our box of the Reset, Restore, Renew Detox Packs. And so you can take a pack here or there. We've talked about that in past episodes, like if you've had more than two drinks, take a pack that evening, take a pack the following morning, or you could pulse up the Ultimate Detox, you know, two of those in the evening and two of those in the morning. Um, That's always ways to support the liver and the kidneys when you're distressing them. But yeah, I think at this time of the year, as we're kind of coming to the year of a close, January is the time to jump into a 10-day detox. And like Becky said, you can do it staying keto strong if you're already in a fat-fueled lifestyle. Or if you've been doing keto and you're curious about what carb cycling would look like, we also have a carb cycling um, option where you can play with legumes and more liberalized amounts of fruit. And that could be enough to reset your leptin, which would be a positive hormone change potentially. And so that's actually really important. Let's talk a little bit more about why keto itself can drive the need of detox. We have a whole episode, like we said on this, it was 84, right? Yes. Yes. So when you're in active fat loss, so the beauty about the keto diet, right, is it's muscle sparing and it's going to upregulate the use of body fat. If you're being calorie restricted with your keto, you're going to upregulate the use of body fat as fuel. As you 
lose body fat in pounds and in percent, you know, relative distribution and what have you, those fat cells shrink in size, right? And we get a release or an upregulation of that sludge in the bathtub, like Becky mentioned with that dirty bath water, right? So we're going to get a higher release of endocrine disrupting compounds, and that's going to potentially cause havoc, metabolically speaking. And then also remember that your adipocytes or your fat cells themselves actually function as hormone modulators, and many of them have estrogenic properties. So as you lose fat, you also get that surge of estrogen dominance in the body. So really important to look at regulating these metabolic processes so that you don't stall your weight loss and um, see negative ramifications of all of a sudden experiencing hypothyroid or insulin resistance from that successful dramatic fat loss. Awesome. And then even, you know, to inhibit weight loss in the first place, these toxins actually bioaccumulate. So let's talk about what that means. Yeah. So if you haven't had that successful surge of weight loss, Mm -hmm. it may be that you have so much endocrine disrupting compound going on in the system or so much estrogen dominance that you can't move that scale, if you will. So, you know, these toxins and these endocrine disruptors act in an additive or cumulative effect, if you will, in the body. And so the more body fat that you have, the more, uh, endocrine disrupting influence. So you're going to be more susceptible to insulin resistance. You're going to be more susceptible to estrogen dominance. And a lot of these, as we've talked about in detox episodes, these chemicals, these plastics, pesticides, and perfumes, when the liver is overburdened in these 6 billion pounds of toxins that are released environmentally annually, it stores the excess that it doesn't have time to filter in our fat cells. So again, our fat cells not only have hormone properties themselves, they also are burdened with fat-soluble toxins. And that can put the definite brakes on your gas pedal for body fat burn. Got it. So again, if you're in keto or you know any kind of active weight loss program and nothing's moving, a detox might be the thing to kind of get you started and get things rolling. Yeah. And maybe you're not doing a food as medicine keto approach, right? right? Maybe you tried keto and you're wondering why you're not losing weight, but you're eating cheese and deli meat. Yep. And no produce. (laughs) Right. So that might not be working well for you on a hormonal level. Yep. That totally, totally makes sense. And, And we always talk about why the kind of keto you do matters. And I think we'll get into that in a second here with, um, some of the dietary support. So beyond reducing estrogen and endocrine disrupting compounds in terms of exposure, let's talk about some of the kind of cut and dry, what we can do every day to support detox within the diet and things we can build in as sustainable diet practices. Yes. So cruciferous vegetables. I mentioned earlier that compound called DIM. Um, We can get indole-3-carbonyls and sulfur-containing compounds in our cruciferous vegetables, which includes like our Brussels sprouts, our cauliflower, our kale, our broccoli. I like to focus on at least a cup of these in a cooked form, ideally. And this is going to help the body to detoxify that excess estrogen and also detoxify other non-hormonal or non-estrogen, I should say, endocrine disrupting compounds. So sauteing broccoli, and then you can layer this. You can make things even more powerful players of detox when you add um, and create food as medicine synergy. So doing like 
broccoli sauteing that with garlic, which is allium or the sulfur containing compound in the garlic, um, that's going to the allicillin in the garlic is going to have more anti-inflammatory and detox supporting um, compounds. Adding ginger to that as well would make a nice stir fry. Uh, we could do a kale salad. I just made an awesome kale salad last night. We're adding lemon to that or avocado to that to get that synergy of liver detox support and avocado with the glutathione. Um, the buffalo cauliflower recipe that's on the um, cookbook, uh, naturally nourished cookbook, would be another fun thing to, to play with. So cruciferous vegetables, one cup a day cooked for I3C and sulfur to upregulate phase two detox would be my first recommendation. Awesome. And then what about leafy greens? I know that's a biggie. Yeah. So, you know, when we start our real food keto program with clients and they're new to keto and they're maybe not testing positive, um, we may restrict non-starchy vegetables in the beginning because we know that there is going to be, you know, more carbs in vegetables and we need to really wring out the glycogen stores. Um, and so we start some days with only a half cup total of non-starchy vegetables. So that cruciferous vegetable goal would be as you get fat adapted or, you know, if you're not jump starting into keto. Um, now, two to three cups of greens is a non-negotiable regardless of your state of your diet or carb restriction. Um, this is going to be a great form of B vitamins, magnesium, and um, we know magnesium has 300 plus different enzyme activity in the body. And greens also support the liver. They provide bitter alkaloid compounds, which are going to help to support bile flow and detoxification. So two to three cups of leafy greens daily would be my second goal. Awesome. And then beyond that, other forms of fiber, I think, would be really important to talk about. Especially, you yes. know, we can get into kind of a lower fiber diet. And I think that's something people worry about and they'll see ramifications with their bowels and things. For sure. So instead of chucking up that <laughs> or choking down, I should say that Kashi <laughs> oh <gosh>. um, for <laughs> fiber, um, yeah, which is going to have unfavorable sexual hormone impact. Um, you want to get ample fiber from whole foods. So, you know, if you're non-keto, 35 grams of fiber a day. If you are keto, once you get fat adapted again and your body can have a little bit more give on your carb consumption, about 25 grams a day of fiber is still reasonably with a keto fat adapted individual. And that's what I personally aim for. Um, one food is medicine supporter is chia seed, which has 10 grams of fiber per tablespoon. So that's an awesome tool to bump up your daily intake. And then you might consider the phytofiber um, from the Naturally Nourished Supplement line that has a lot of soluble fiber blended with insoluble fiber, all from whole food forms. So like pectins from carrot fiber and things like this. This is going to help us to bind that excess and detox on the colon level so we're not getting that reabsorption of estrogen and other endocrine disrupting compounds. Great. And I think it's important to talk about bowel regularity when we talk. Right. Detox, yeah. Right? So, you know, fiber is one thing we think of as a broom. And then of course, hydration helping to move that along. And we also want to focus on the neuromuscular impact or that peristalsis, the movement of the digestive tract in that uh, rest and digest mode. 
So our relax and regulate um, would be a really good one to focus on as far as a form of magnesium glycinate. Um, that's a fantastic tool. And also that has as a synergy effect. So mag glycinate, again, is the most neuromuscularly available form of magnesium, a fantastic tool if you're doing any form of a low carb diet. But regardless across the board, when we're talking about estrogen dominance, relax and regulate is an awesome tool because it also has inositol and myo-inositol has hormone modulating effects. It's been shown so favorable in PCOS literature as well as uh, infertility and endometriosis. So relax and regulate is a great compound that will help with that bowel regularity as well as estrogen detox. And then the last thing on the world of bowel regularity I'd mention is our uh, baseline probiotic, the Restore Baseline Probiotic, which is a 50-50 blend of lacto and bifido. Uh, you could try the probiotic challenge as another new thing in the new year to see if you have to do a dysbiosis or candida cleanse. And this is important to note because dysbiosis and yeast can drive also estrogen dominance in the body and can drive toxic distress, which can make those endocrine disruptors more harmful because they'll be more activated if we can't remove them from our body based on dysbiosis. Mm, got it. That makes sense. It's just kind of like recirculating all of that scary exactly. stuff. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's a, it's a block in a pathway of removal, right? Yeah. Sludge. More sludge in the yeah. tank. <laughs> And then thinking along the lines of the liver, moving outside of our digestive tract, well, the liver is definitely still involved. Um, apple cider vinegar liver flush or our turmeric lemon shooter. I just made a batch of that this morning. Um, doing that in the morning is going to help with bioflow and detox support for both phase one and phase two, especially if you're adding the turmeric in there, as we mentioned. And then um, the last supplement supports, I mentioned the super turmeric and then the ultimate detox. And again, those 10 day detox packs are going to be the things that I would say clinically are going to be the most powerful tool beyond the food as medicine strategy. And I would at least do a 10-day detox semi-annually, if not quarterly. Awesome. So I'll make sure these, what is it, six strategies, I guess. I thought it was five, but six. Um, make their way onto our Instagram when we promote this episode, but also onto the blog so you guys can refer back to just kind of diet basics and things to incorporate. And then I want to touch back on um, that aromatization that we talked about yes. about 30 minutes ago, probably at this point, but um, how can we reduce that conversion? Like you were talking about Ali of testosterone into estrogen. I think this is a really important one, especially for our guys that are listening. Right. So aromatization is the conversion of male form hormone into female form. And so we can aromatase testosterone into estrogen. And um, we want to uh, block or, or use an aromatase inhibitor, if you will. Um, and the compounds that have been shown very favorable are mushrooms. Uh, chrysin in raw honey is a very powerful tool. In fact, we've seen in a study that was published by the Journal of Steroid Biochemistry and Molecular Biology that chrysin was the most potent of the naturally occurring flavonoids um, when researched to look at potency effective as compared to a pharmaceutical aromatase inhibitor. So pretty crazy. They actually compared um, the aromatase inhibitors that are used commonly in breast cancer with the chrysin that's in raw honey. 
and found the chrysin to be as effective. Um, and then flav, yeah. And then, and then flavonoids, um, in their, uh, whole food form can also be very supportive from fresh fruits and vegetables. So another kind of aha, just a moment on this, as far as the people that are, uh, you know, fear mongering about, uh, real food keto, um, and the use, like I, I put up a slide a couple months ago about my favorite keto sweeteners <laughs> and I listed raw and filtered honey and I listed banana and I listed, um, grade B maple syrup and dates. And I didn't say my favorite real food keto foods or snacks, to be clear. (laughs) I said my favorite real food keto sweeteners. And so if I'm making a recipe, I want to use a moderate amount of a real food sweetener that has therapeutic beneficial properties that can support my metabolism, right? And actually provide nutritional compounds while helping my palate to satiate a craving and continue to redefine my relationship with what sweet is and still stay supported in a fat adapted diet. So you can use two tablespoons of raw and filtered honey in a recipe that makes 12 to 20 portions and still stay very deep into nutritional keto without using a chemical shitstorm of a white ubiquitous powder from the new kid on the block, fill in the blank sweetener, whether that's monk fruit or stevia or what have you, still highly chemically adulterated and processed sure. um, and hyper, hyper sweet. So that's my sidebar there. Yes. So versus honey, getting the properties yeah. from honey. Yeah. Yeah, honey can be cool. Um, and then there's zinc-rich foods too. So uh, pumpkin seeds, red meat, all of these being very supportive. Um, that's all going to be that world of aromatization. And then other things to support testosterone balance in the body would be, of course, eating healthy fats. So uh, focusing on our saturated fats from our coconut oil um, and getting a good amount of omega-3 fatty acids from our wild-caught fish our uh, monounsaturated fats from our olive oil, uh, getting in the avocado, uh, which has some supportive benefit on estrogen metabolism. And then most nuts and seeds are going to have anti-estrogenic plant sterols that also help to regulate other steroids like our lipids and so forth. So using your nut flowers and such would be a great tool as well. Awesome. And then other ways that we can continue to support healthy testosterone expression and production. I know that exercise is a big one, right? With the focus on muscle building. Yeah. So actually using, uh, you know, lean body mass gains or maintenance, we know that our muscles are secondary tissue for testosterone production. So totally important. Um, and, uh, so lifting about 30 minutes, um, five times a week of resistance training and then consumption of protein hand in hand with that, getting enough protein, um, choosing from, of course, our, uh, hormone free, antibiotic free and wild caught pasture raised sourcing. That's going to give us not only the amino acids and the protein building blocks, but then also more of the mineral density and the active nutrients that are going to support the detox process. So you get a good two for one with your quality sourcing. And then beyond the muscle maintenance, the last I would say for the sexual hormone balance is stress. Um, So everything comes back to that anxiety and HPA axis being the Achilles heel to our health puzzle because our adrenal glands, as I mentioned with that estrone or that E1, 
our adrenal glands, remember, make sexual hormone. So our adrenal glands make androgens, which testosterone is in that world of sexual hormone there. And so if we're under chronic stress, uh, we know that cortisol can reduce our testosterone expression. We know that stress can upregulate estrogen expression. And uh, we can be more hindered with belly fat with cortisol imbalance in the body as well. So the adaptogen boost would actually be my next line of defense to help with endocrine disrupting hormones and estrogen dominance. And then um, you may consider looking at sexual hormone um, balance and the consideration of DHEA, which is that other steroid made by the adrenals that can metabolize into testosterone or estrogen. Um, Too high of that might be driving your estrogen dominance or too low of that may be hindering your keto performance. Yes. And if hormones are something you're wanting to dig deeper into, we wouldn't suggest the use of DHEA or a bioidentical or something on those lines without testing. So I would highly recommend taking a look at our neurohormone panels. We have the neurohormone complete panel for men and the neurohormone complete plus panel for women uh, that you're now able to order even without becoming a client. Um, And it comes with a brief email review. I don't know if we can be brief, but brief-ish email review of how you can- Customized, yeah. Of how you can implement the results, supplement and diet suggestions and reasons these things might be happening kind of in the first place to, um, you know, it won't be a full session with us, but it'll be pretty darn comprehensive. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm super stoked. That's a big change we're making for 2019 is accessibility to these functional labs for you podcast listeners at an affordable price point that actually can start to implement and see strategy and a pathway to create and manifest change. So super excited about that. Um, And yeah, you know, you wouldn't preemptively use DHEA or any uh, bioidentical, but adaptogen boost would be a great tool you could use blindly, if you will, if you know you're under stress. Sure. And the other thing I'd consider is if you aren't sleeping. So we talked about COMT. Again, this connects the stress chemicals, right? So COMT metabolizes your excess estrogen. So if you have high anxiety, high stress, Um, and you're in burnout mode, you also may not be sleeping. We talked about in our insomnia episode, remember that melatonin specifically can um, have inhibitory properties on the aromatase enzyme. So melatonin can also, it's been shown in another study to be as effective as letrozole, which is another aromatase inhibitor used in breast cancer studies. So melatonin we talked about as being a potent antioxidant and a breast cancer preventer. And melatonin is one that you could safely bring in for sure if you aren't getting deep qualitative sleep of greater than seven hours a night to kind of biohack. And so I would suggest our sleep support formula there and then potentially layering on, as I mentioned earlier, that relax and regulate. Awesome. So we'll make sure we link to those two formulas as well in our show notes. Um, Let's circle back to close it out on keto, just because I think this is something really important to hit home. Um, Let's talk about why the type of keto you do matters if folks are thinking about signing up for our virtual food as medicine keto program, um, why the type matters and how our program's a little bit different in terms of including some of these detox supporting compounds. Yeah. You know, it all comes down to like you pay your farmer now and your rancher or you pay your doctor later. And it's a lot more fun, although it might not be to your pocketbook in the moment, (laughs) but it's a lot more fun to thrive in your body and 
focus on qualitative sourcing and foods. So we really hone in on that. And the first step of clean keto is getting a diet that's devoid of toxins, additives, preservatives, and starting with whole real foods and quality sourcing layering on that, right? Getting your body fat adapted in the first place. So do we have to focus more on the HPA axis and bring down your stress response so we can metabolize that cortisol and we can kind of biohack your body to get deeper qualitative sleep. And that's going to support your keto performance. Do we need to add more fiber to your diet with nuts and seeds and um, using nut flour muffins and adding in that that phytofiber supplement to keep bowel regularity or adding in the digestate to help with the fat absorption and the distress to the bowels, um, getting the bar none, two to three cups of leafy greens, and then starting to layer in those sulfur containing detox supporting cruciferous foods. And then what's our antioxidant and phytocompound strategy of our superfood blends. We actually have a material we hand out in class four on superfoods. And we talk about even things like adding cinnamon powder, um, powdered ground cinnamon to your coffee, and that can help with insulin resistance. So we're constantly really jam packed with qualitative goals and strategy to layer your food as medicine approach to really own it for your body and focus in on what's most important as your priority to start to see noticeable change and beneficial outcomes. Awesome. So just another reason as we close out this episode to strongly consider getting a spot in our virtual food as medicine keto program so you can get the benefits of fat burn and weight loss or immunological and neurological support plus the accelerated boost of food as medicine and detox support to really optimize and thrive in your body in the new year. Yes. So as always, we've given you a lot to chew on today. (laughs) So you might be starting with a focus on something you're going to remove or swap out. Maybe you're going to start cosmetics with beauty counter. Maybe you're going to start in your pantry with your food containers. Maybe you're going to start with following our protocol to wean off of your hormonal birth control. Wherever it is, remember that this is a journey and a continuum. So we hope that this information can empower you to get one step closer to the optimal you. Um, If you love what we're putting out there, please take a moment to jump on over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review with a couple sentences on what you're loving. Also, make sure that you take time to go over to AllieMillerRD.com. In the Books and Programs tab is where you can learn more about our keto class, also our Beat the Bloat Cleanse, and our 10-Day Detox. And then on the supplements tab under my clinic, you can always fill in a supplement form if you're overburdened with where to start. And I will directly answer that for you with strategy of three to four top formulas that put all of these episodes into collaboration to really optimize the health of your body. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.